Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. We are continuing today our series uh, the church should be. And we started this series last week, and this, this series is really based on like what we kind of see the church being, not just what we want our preferences or what our experiences have been, but as we look back in Scripture, we see what the church should be, because many times what we think something should be is laced with experiences. It's laced with a lot of preferences. And so as we have started this series and we say, what should the church be? I don't know, like people got a lot of opinions of what they think the church should be. Amen? People want the church, and I, and it, you know, and I mean last week, it, w- it was a great example of just hearing as people were shouting things out of what we think the church should be. But here is kind of the concept with, with this series. Is as we go forward and say what the church should be, I think we should actually look back and see what the church was and say is what we want, what God had in mind. And so our text for the series is Acts 242 through 47, which is the genesis of the church. Acts in and of itself is a historical account of the very early church written by the historian Luke, who put together a, a, a an orderly eyewitness account of the very early church. And Luke was a historian, and in true historian fashion, he put together a systematic timeline and thread and story of what the early church started off as. And so really as our basis for this series, we're using Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, which the subject title in in my Bible actually says, the believers form a community where they had 3,000 people that were saved on one day. Peter, who couldn't stand before a servant girl, gets up in front of thousands of people, preaches the gospel. 3,000 people respond, get baptized. Boom, the church is born. And now they have to figure out how are we going to actually put this thing together to be the church. And what Luke highlights in these five verses here describes what people describe the church as. This is what it says, Acts 2.42 through 47. It says, all the believers devoted. And last week we talked about how the church should be devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, uh, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met at homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then it says, each day the Lord added daily to their fellowship those who were being Saved. Last week we talked about how the church should be devoted. This week I want to talk to you how the church should be supernatural. Supernatural. Whenever you hear, where, whenever you read in verse number 43, it says that people were in awe of the church and many miraculous signs and wonders were performed at the hands of the apostles. And really what that is saying is that 
people saw supernatural things. And when you define what supernatural is, it is simply a manifestation or event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. And and whenever you take that word supernatural and translate it to biblical times, like what the terms they use as signs and wonders, basically the miraculous was happening. And whenever you talk about the supernatural power of God working and happening, I don't know if you have seen, but people can be in different camps. People can be in different camps. And I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this or seen this, but the church in and of itself is great at forming camps. About everything. Do you want to know why we have so many denominations? Like, some of y'all are just stressed out, like, why should I follow a God that their people can't even agree on anything? I mean, there's so many different denominations, and I mean, you know, you can walk through them. I think there's hundreds of them. And really, those denominations have been started and, and, and were formed because different Jesus followers believe different things that this book teaches. So they, so, it, it, you know, and, and, and so the thing is, right, whenever you, you have camps, people love to be in camps, and then they start to defend their camps, so then they'll be like, no, we're the only right one. You're the wrong one. We're awesome. Y'all suck. We're, we're right. But this is what you see happening within the church. Is they got churches bashing other churches, people, you know, people bashing other people's beliefs. And it's absolutely wild whenever you see how people react and respond, especially when it comes to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the church. So I, I want to like describe to you what some of these camps are. So you can go ahead and bring this up there. So we're going to use a continuum here to kind of describe the three major camps that some, that some Christians find themselves in when it comes to the supernatural power of God. And when I say super, you know, when I say supernatural, it's things that go beyond our natural understanding and natural Lost. So, we, so kind of, of an eg- example would be some things that we have experienced within our church. We've had, we have had people go to the doctor and get, and get biopsies. It comes back, they have cancer. We have people praying. They go back to the doctor, the cancer is gone. We've experienced that at our church. I can give you her name and her phone number, and she can tell you about it. Okay. So this is the kind of stuff, stuff that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to the logical mind. It doesn't make sense to what science would, would, would say. It's supernatural, okay? So the three camps that are kind of in the Christian world, and you might care about this, you might not. Just play along and just pretend like you're paying attention. Um, the three major camps when it comes to this are, first off, you have cessationists. And that is basically a really theolo- a, a theological word that simply means that there is a group of people that believe signs and wonders stopped with the very early church because signs and wonders were only needed to affirm the apostles as being apostles, and they were only needed to get the church started. And once the church started, and once it was doing its, its thing, the church no longer needs these signs and wonders why because the church has started it's doing this thing the most important thing is spreading the gospel and the, of, of course it definitely is but they believe that the gospel doesn't need help it doesn't need signs and wonders 
So there's a group of Christians that believe the signs of wonder stopped with the very early church. And once, and, and once Acts closed, once this book was kind of like done with, once that time period finished, then, there's, then the church no longer needs it. Okay? And then the second part on the continuum is kind of the, the careless ones. And these are the ones that are like, yeah, God might heal. God might do supernatural things. If he does, great. If not, whatever. I just want to follow Jesus. Right? They're like, you know, you know, they're, you know like, these aren't bad people. It's just kind of like, you know, if, it's, if God does it, great. If, if, if he doesn't, great. Just, I just want to get to heaven, you know, <laughs> like the end of the day, right? Um, but, but then on the other side of the continuum, on the opposite side of the cessationist, now you have the, what I would lovingly term them, charismaniacs. So this is different than a charismatic. This is charismaniac, which maybe you've been to these kinds of churches where people really, like, they want to see the power of God. And they will, like, Yes, like, and, 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 and it, it is like, they almost view it equal to salvation, where it's like, this kind of stuff, when it is happening, like, it, it is the most important thing, and, and if we're not seeing it, we do not have the full gospel. I actually remember growing up, there was a family within our church that my mom we grew up Pentecostal. This family was Baptist. I was, I was actually told they didn't have the full gospel because they believed differently about the Holy Spirit. They were on the cessationist end. But my mom and the church was on the, was on the charismaniac end. So then they started to do this, oh, well, you know. But, but, but this is what actually happens within the, the churches. We start to form camps and we start to point point fingers, and it's crazy because both sides use the same book to try to prove, the same, to try to prove a different point. And I just kind of want to pause here to kind of take a second here to, to talk about, like, how do we handle when Christians believe differently? Because it, what, what gets me is people will defend a belief in a camp they have in a way that doesn't affirm their devotion to Jesus. Like, they'll do it in a hateful way. They will do it in a, like, unlike fruit of the Spirit way. And what I believe as Christians we need to do is we need to create an environment where though we might disagree, we, we, we don't hate each other. Because the thing is this, right? What you believe isn't as important even so as how you get there. Because what the church has done, we just see what somebody believes instead of asking the hard question of, can you help me understand how you, how you get there? Because people are in camps for a lot of different reasons. And you need empathy and grace and, you, and to, to actually not just see what somebody believes, but how they get there. Because many times what you believe is laced with experience. It's laced with your church experience. It's laced with your personal experience. It can, it can be laced with DNA. There's just lots of variables that happen. Your education. There's a lot of different things that can make one person believe something. 
And so as Christians, we have to get beyond just what you believe and say, hey, can you help me understand how you get there? And even if you might not agree with how somebody get, gets there or even what they believe, that doesn't negate the call to love them. Because I love what First Peter says, right? Like, you know, First Peter is a book of the Bible written, and Peter writes to a group of 12 churches to kind of like encourage them and, sh- and strengthen them. One of the things he says here, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So what he's, he's saying in the context here is about evangelism and telling somebody else about Jesus. And he's like, look, if someone asks you, why do you believe in this Jesus guy? Like, what, like why is your hope in him? Peter's like, yeah, like be ready to share. Be ready to share, but when you do, do it. He uses two words that I think Christians need to get. Gentleness and respect. Not judgment and hatred. He's saying if you're going to share with other people, do it with gentleness. And, 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 and I'm like, if we're called to evangelize like that, we need to disagree like that. We need to disagree like that. So don't just look at what somebody believes. Say, hey, can you help me understand? Because a lot of times what we believe is laced with experiences. And we believe that the church should be supernatural. Why? Because when you look in this book, and, 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 and this is why in this month I've challenged you to do two things. Memorize Acts 2, 42 through 47, and read Acts as many times as you can this month. Why? So you can detox yourself from what you've experienced in church and what you've seen the church in the United States be. Because if we're going to see what the church should be and can be, we almost have to ensure we're in a detox process to say, let's look at what the church is capable of and can be. Not according to what we've seen or experienced, but, but according to what God's word says. Because here's the truth. You can't read Acts and say that the church isn't called to operate and see the supernatural as natural. You can't do it. You can't read Acts and just be, be like the supernatural was just a sidecar. It's all through. I just, I, just, I just want to give you a couple verses that, that we see throughout this book. First, Acts 4, 29 through 30. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats. And the, and the context here is the church is being persecuted. Like Peter and John healed somebody, and they got thrown in prison for it. And then they go back to the other believers. And this is what they, the Christians pray. It said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, God. And perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Acts 5.12, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. This is significant. Why? Stephen wasn't an apostle. So we cannot just say only, it's only for, for, for the apostles. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Acts 8, 8, 6, it says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, Philip wasn't an apostle, and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Like, oh, this man's, oh, what'd you say? Why? Because signs and wonders helped get people's 
attention to focus on the power of the gospel. Acts 8, 7, with, with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Acts 14, 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. These are just a few verses in this book that talk about the thread throughout this, this book of what is possible and what could be happening. And in our view, what should be happening is that the supernatural isn't just labeled revival in the church. Supernatural is looked at as being a normal part of its function. I love what John Stott says, pastor and theologian John Stott. He says this, if we have hesitations about, and some of you do, some of you are listening to me right now, and you're like, is this dude a televangelist? Is this just trying to sell $29.99, get your prophecy, get your, get your healing? I am not saying that at, I'm not saying that at all. This is what John Stott says. He says, if we have hesitations about some claims to signs and wonders today, we must make sure that we have not confined both God and ourselves in the prison of Western rationalistic unbelief. The truth is this. Your past and present can be a prison keeping you from what God can do to you, in you, and through you. Because some of you have not experienced this, so you wonder, is it even for today? Because your experience has it, and what I would encourage you to do is don't interpret the word of God through your experience. Interpret your experience through many of you that, because if, if we do that, many of you that have not seen this, or many of you that haven't even desired this, or some of you that have thought this is just kind of not for today and kind of just a, a sidecar, I would say, as you interpret your experience to what the early church was, I think we would see the supernatural is something that the church is called to be natural and and here's the thing like this is what i said in first service that i believe bears bears repeating the greatest hindrance to the next move of god is the old one why because y'all here's it here's here's the thing when 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 i look at and see what i believe the the vision that god has put within our hearts for for this church it is the supernatural becoming natural i believe that 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 is the move I have experienced the supernatural. I grew up in a charismaniac church where we had a, like we, 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 we wanted to see the supernatural happen, but it became even more important than the gospel. Where all, they weren't seeking Jesus, they were seeking signs. And that is not what I want to see our church do as a natural part of being a follower of Jesus. That as you go to your workplaces, in your families, in the community, in, in all the places you go, that as you go, the supernatural power is with you. To where if you are talking with somebody and they share something, they share they've got cancer, they share they've, they, they have got something going on in their family, whatever, you would have the boldness and the courage right there to say, can I pray for you? God says ask, and that you would not be afraid of God looking bad. God doesn't need you to look bad, need you to make him look good or bad. He is like a, a lion. Just let the cage out. Just open the cage. He's like a lion. And if you, if you open the cage and you step out and you are courageous and bold and you believe that you can walk with the supernatural power of God, let's ask. Let's, what if, what if he does? We, that's his job. Our job is to be bold and ask. It's not our job to heal. 
It's, it, it's not our job to do the supernatural. Our job is to bring the supernatural through our natural selves. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. I need to pause. But here's the, here's the thing. When I'm thinking about the move of God at Lifehouse that I feel and sense he's doing, it's to be a supernatural people that walk naturally in the supernatural. Not to be weird. Not, not, to, be care, not to be charismatic maniacs but to be people that don't dismiss it and say that that's this for them no we see this is for us and this is something we see that the church should be so how do we see this playing out at lifehouse let me give you a couple thoughts really quick first off we need to seek jesus not just the signs like i just said because here's the thing whenever you see jesus there will there will be times whenever he did whenever he did healings miracles that the first thing he told them isn't be healed. The first thing he told them was your sins are forgiven. Why? Because their greatest need was not to have their broken leg healed. It was to have their soul in relationship with God and have their sins forgiven. And y'all, just flat out, to me, the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle, the greatest sign and wonder is when a sinner repents and takes his will and submits it to God. The greatest sign of is our sins being forgiven. And I'm telling you, I could go out to Virginia Beach today, and I could see the Atlantic Ocean split wide, like, like just like I said, hallelujah, the God, I got a Moses, you know, and, and kind of like spreading the, spreading the water. If, if I saw that, I would say that is great, but... What is even greater is when you have a stubborn, stiff-necked sinner when they finally bow their knee to Jesus and start and give him everything. That, to me, is the greatest miracle because our will is the greatest thing that needs to be healed. And that is going from our way to going to his way. That is the greatest miracle. And that is what we must seek first because it's called a sign and wonder. They are not salvation. Signs and wonders, even as you read Acts chapter 14, they confirm that the message of the gospel is true, and they become a way that people start to pay attention. Acts chapter 8, I think it was Philip, once they saw what he was doing, they paid attention. Oh. This is what signs and wonders are called to do. They're called to bring attention to the gospel. And I love what John Piper said. He's, he said this, but even if signs and wonders can't save the soul, they can, if God pleases, shatter the shell of disinterest. They can shatter the shell of cynicism. They can shatter the shell of false religion. Like every other good witness to the word of grace, they can help the fallen heart to fix its gaze on the gospel where the soul-saving, self-authenticating glory of the Lord shines. Therefore, the early church longed to, for God to stretch forth his hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done in the name of Jesus. Why? Because when God acts, he can do more in a minute than man with his organizing can do in 50 years. Isn't that good? And that's what signs and wonders do. They break the shell of disinterest. They are not salvation. But I'm telling you, if in your life you pray for somebody and the supernatural power of God moves, hearts become open to hear, tell me who this Jesus is, what? And that is the heart, Lifehouse. It's not just to have hocus pocus magic going on for the sake of it. 
It's so they can point to a savior. He loves you. He wants to know you. He's crazy about you. Here's the thing. The supernatural, however, doesn't negate nor excuse, nor excuse the purpose, power, and importance of the natural. Can I, can, can I kind of like go in here some? Because I think if we're not, if we aren't careful, the supernatural, the power of the spirit will overtake the, the desire for the fruit of the spirit. It's not either or, it's both and. The fruit of the spirit is defined as in scripture, in, in Galatians chapter 5, as being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's hard to cultivate. I don't know if y'all have been following Jesus any amount of time. To walk in love, to have joy, peace, patience, kind of gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to have all of these things operating. And here's the thing. What we will have a proclivity to do is to want the shiny, sexy power of God and negate the hard pick up your cross and follow me discipleship that is needed in the everyday. Where we'll come in a service, power of God, heal, restore, and you go to work and you are the most unloving, unjoyful, unself-disciplined, unself-controlled, unkind. No, I don't think that's the way that Jesus wants it to be, that God wants it to be. And I almost even think the road to the supernatural is paved through the natural. And what do, and what do I mean by that? Let me give you a little example. Is like we can want to see demons or like, you know, we can want demons cast it out, but we can't even say no to a donut. So you want the power to cast the demon out, but you don't even have the power to say no to something that, that is controlling you. Does everybody hear my heart? I, I'm not trying to be crude. I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be whatever. I am just saying that let's make sure we have a right desire for the right things at the right time. Because if you want the power of God without the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you'll be doing things that you won't have the character to sustain. And, and, and that is why my prayer and that's why it's one of our values here. We follow Jesus. We understand the cost. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. It is a road that leads to death, but in that death, there is life. That as we die to ourselves, that paves the way for life to resurrect. And that as we die to ourselves, the spirit takes over and more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control start to come start to come out of us and so we just won't have the power of the spirit we'll have the fruit of the spirit we just don't want the fruit of the spirit we need the power of the spirit it's not either or it's both and so we would have a desire and heart for both but we would not just want the power of god without the natural walking out of a of what a discipleship relationship with jesus looks like do y'all hear my heart my proclivity is, is like, why are we going to pray for things that we have the power to do? It's crazy how many people pray for things to be healed that they have the power to heal with their self-control. Many things we pray for, if we just stopped eating certain things, you would have healing. 
God, heal me of my blood pressure. Stop smoking. Stop eating. Stop. Stop. So we want God to supernaturally do things that we could do naturally through our self-control. Y'all hear my heart. I'm not trying to bust. I'm, I'm just saying I want to make sure that we just don't want the glitzy glam supernatural without also realizing the same spirit that gives you power is the same spirit that gives you self-discipline. First, Second Timothy 1, 7, this is what it says here. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, right? And that is the same word. Whenever Jesus said, you will be my witnesses and, I, and you will receive power, that word used in Acts 1, when Jesus said it, is the same word used here. Dunanimous, dynamite, power. You will receive power, love, and what? Self-discipline. My prayer is we just wouldn't supernatural. Yeah, pastor finally talking about it. But you have hate in your heart. You, you, you don't love. You know, I mean, it's like, do, do y'all hear me? Let us not just want the power. Let us want the fruit, the fruit, and the power, not either or, but both and. Have a desire for the power and the fruit. Next, next though, can you go to the supernatural needs discernment, not a system. You know, I find it funny when Jesus, when he would heal, he would always, everything you see in scripture, most of the time he does it in a different way. Why? Because you know how we are. We think branding. We think marketing. We think a lot of what's going on. Here, just drink this water. Send it in $29.99. Give it to people in the hospital. Let them drink it because I prayed over it. Man is good at creating a system so we won't need discernment. And people do this with the supernatural. We want the power of God to move, but sometimes what people do not need is physical healing. They need an encounter with Jesus. They need evangelism. They need you to talk to them about the gospel. But the thing is this, right? Like, Let's not systematize the, sup the supernatural and say, oh, he stretched his hand. He had three fingers out, not four. If you just do the hand thing, pointer finger, middle finger, and the ring finger, there's, there's not power in, th in the system. It's not this hand, this hand. No, it's like we need discernment. Why? Because, that, because we, we've got to really understand what do people need. And that takes you being in tune with the Holy Spirit for each individual person. So that means it's going to require you to be walking in the Spirit, not just wanting the power of the Spirit and systematizing it so you can build your brand. Do y'all see, see what I'm saying? We need the supernatural, but we also need the spirit of discernment. And, and y'all, that takes time being in the Spirit. Like spending time with the Lord, not just wanting something from the Lord. Because, y'all, we live in that culture, y'all. We, we want, but we don't want to do what the kind of, what's that old, that really old word, tarry. We don't, we don't want to tarry and just be with the Lord and get the Lord's heart that will give us the spirit of, of 
discernment. Many times we do, all right, God, hurry up, heal. You got 20 minutes to do it. Supernatural needs discernment, not a, a system. Last, last, lastly here, the supernatural must be grounded in love. The supernatural must be grounded in love. So Paul, right? Paul, he's writing to a church he planted in the city of Corinth. And he's writing to them about a plethora of different things. There's sexual sin going on in the, in the church. He uh, addresses that. He talks to single people. <laughs> he talks to people eating food that was sacrificed to different, to different gods. This church was getting drunk during communion. My God. Can you imagine us passing out wine bottles as you walk in? And people are abusing wine bottles during communion. Oh, my God. So he's writing to this church, right? And then in chapter 12, he's talking to them about the spiritual gifts. And he mentions the supernatural gifts. He mentions healing. He mentions signs, wonders. He, like, he mentions faith. And like, he, he talks about the gifts of the spirit that should be operating within the church in 1 Corinthians 12. So he, I mean, he, and you can go and read it for yourself because he says the church is a body. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to each individual person within the body to edify and build up the church. And part of those gifts is like prophecy. It's the power of, of, of God healing. It's speaking in tongues. And, and, and he's, he's writes about this stuff in chapter 12 and sandwiched right in between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about what? Love. In chapter, in chapter 14, I'm, I'm going to get it out, I promise. I'm buffering. Uh, that's what I say. I speak in 3G, you listen in 5G. If, if I'm, I'm going to catch up, okay? I promise. But in chapter 14, he talks about how the, how the gifts need to be done in a fitting and orderly way. And he specifically mentions how if you're in a gathering and somebody speaks in tongues... And there is nobody there to interpret what was said. You shouldn't speak in tongues because people are going to think you're crazy. So he says, as you're practicing the gifts, they should be done in a fitting and orderly and decent way that builds the church and edifies it. But right in the middle of practicing these gifts and it being done in a fitting and decent way, smack dab in the middle of it is what? Love. That as we're practicing these gifts, as we have a desire, we need to make sure that it is grounded in love. Let me just read 1 Corinthians 13 for you. This is what it says here. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels did not love others, I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be what? Nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. What Paul is saying, you, you can have the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. You can even die as a martyr, but if you don't have love grounding, you, you have nothing. And that is the heart. Like he's saying in chapter 12, you should be practicing these. It's got to be done in love and done with order and decency that builds the church up. So when, when you're like, John, what, do you, what, what vision do you see for Lifehouse. Where would we be on that continuum? Ready? I, I think that life that we are called to be charismatic with the seatbelt. <laughs> and I have heard some of the people use that term, and I absolutely love it. Charismatic with a seatbelt, meaning I want 
we want to see the supernatural power of God within our gatherings, going with you as you go to wherever God sends you. Yet at the same time, grounded in love and practiced in a decent and orderly way that builds the church. I'll never forget, right before shutdown, does anybody remember 2020? <laughs> Good God, it seems like 30 years ago. January 2020, before shutdown, I'm sitting right over there in a service, quiet worship moment. Everything was calm. It's about to transition. I think Andrea was leading worship. She, she, had, she did a great job, and we're about to transition to the, to the preaching, and it's quiet. Next thing you know, someone busts out in tongues, like a loud public tongue, like, la 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 and I'm like, well, that's new. That's never happened at Lifehouse before. And so I was like, John, this is why you get paid the big bucks, man. You need to go up there and explain what's going on. Because scripturally, it says when that's done, there's got to be an interpretation. That someone's got to be able to take what is unintelligible and make it intelligible. So as the person was done, I came up to the front. I explained, this is what you just heard. For those of you who might be confused, who might not know what, what happened in 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about this gift and operating within the church, but if it's done in a public setting, it must be interpreted. So I threw it out there. Did anyone hear something intelligible in, that you could give to us in English that is encouraging, edifying, and that will build up the church? That was one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. I'm not going to lie. But somebody who we love and trust and who I know hears the Spirit of God shot up and interpreted the tongue that was given and even to this day, I was sitting down with a woman two months ago who told me about that specific moment being the exact word she needed for her life in that season. And, and I, I mean, I've got people, to, like, even today tell me that was such a powerful moment. And what I'm grateful for is that we did do what we wanted to do. We practiced what the word said. We want to see the supernatural power of God, but we want it grounded in love and done in a decently orderly way that builds the church. My prayer is that we would be, you would be, we would be, Lifehouse would be a supernatural people, and the supernatural becomes natural. There's so many other things that I could teach and preach on this. I don't have time to get into all these other questions that you might have. We might do a class or something on this because you might have questions. So what if God says no? What if you pray and God doesn't answer? What if, what if like, can, can all people do this? Or is it just some? Do people have specific gifts? There, there are so many questions that we can't get into today. Yet, I'm throwing out there, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is to prophesy to our house of what I see the move of God being within our church that we are a supernatural people, that it is natural, that when we see this stuff happening, we aren't like, revival's happening! No, we're just like, we expect this. This isn't, like, this is, like, this is what it says should be happening. And that we see it, and we don't put it up with salvation. We use it to point. Jesus is Lord. Repent of your sins. Give your life to the Lord. He loves you and he just showed you. And that we would be a supernatural people. Okay. And can we all stand? I have preached.
Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.